Good morning. It's great to see you today. Thanks for being here. <clears throat> you know, during the, the past year, 14, 15 months, I've heard more comments and, and probably fielded more um, questions than ever before about what we would call in the church end, end time events. And, and people have uh, thoughts about it. Um, people um, maybe even have already um, maybe made up their mind about certain things. And, um, and I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to look at the, some of these events and to put them in context in, in our world today. And we're not gonna we're not gonna do a step by step uh, walk through the book of Revelation or anything like that. Although we will dive into Revelation uh, several times in the next few weeks. Um, but what I would like us to do is to, especially today with this message that I'll be sharing, uh, I want it to be a sense of what do I need to do to be ready. The series is called Ready, so it's an issue of readiness and. The, the place where we're going to start in this series is really the place that chronologically um, I feel that things will start when it comes to what we might talk about when we talk about end time events, and that's with something called the rapture. And you might say, you know, Pastor, I've, I've read the entire Bible, and I don't think that I've ever run across the word rapture in the Bible, and you would be correct. The word rapture is, is a word that comes from the Latin word raptu, and it means to be caught up or caught away. And for you and I, we, we owe a lot to the Latin, okay? Our, uh, the Latin had a, a big impact on our language as an English language. And in the scriptures, we know that, that, that the New Testament was written in, in primarily Greek, but some Aramaic. We know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But what we don't sometimes realize is that there came a point where, all right, let's begin to translate the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, let's begin to translate it so that more of the world can have uh, the scriptures. And the first language for that, that was, uh, it was translated into was Latin. And so Latin at one point in time, outside of the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, was the only language that the scripture was in. In fact, uh, even some, um, some Orthodox Religions still today do their entire service in Latin. And if you did not understand Latin, you would not understand a word of that particular service. And so uh, Latin was something that, of course, it was translated from the Greek. And the Greek word that, uh, that was used to come up with the word rapture was the Greek word harpazo. And the Greek word harpazo then led to the Latin word raptu, which leads to our English word that we use, rapture. And it all comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse number 16. The Apostle Paul says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, harpazo, raptu, raptured. They will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage these words. Now, I don't know about you and how you think about these things, but when, when I am, am um, getting ready to, to talk with you about some of these things, I will um, look and, and see uh, and check on those that have surveyed people across the country to find out what Christians across the country think. And I don't know if it will surprise you, but, but nationwide, those who profess to be Christians, 41% of those would say that they believe in the rapture, the biblical account that I read to you, the rapture. If we would limit that to simply evangelicals throughout the country, and and it's regardless of denomination, regardless of education, regardless of race, regardless of what area they live in, that number would go up to 58%. So 58% of evangelical Christians. Now, Something that really surprised me, um, having been born and raised and lived most of my life in the Midwest, I look at us in the Midwest, we're, we're like the salt of the earth kinds of people, okay? That's just who we are. We, we work, you know, we play, we have fun, we have families, and it's, it's just, the Midwest has been a great place to live throughout at least my lifetime, and I've spent most of my life in the Midwest. When you take this issue of the rapture and you put it within the context of Christians in the Midwest, I was really shocked to find out that only 35% of Christians in the Midwest believe in the rapture. And that really surprised me. That's according to Pew Research. So today, I want us to ask some questions. I want us to, to really look at some things that have to do with being ready for this event. So how can we be ready? The first thing I want us to do as we're understanding the issue of the rapture in the context of the church is to look at the concern of the early church. <clears throat> now, I can understand being concerned about the rapture. I was concerned about the rapture. My first youth group experience <clears throat> was in the Wesleyan church when I was a kid. I was in the seventh grade, just got into the youth group, me and my buddy Jeff Thompson. Jeff is now like 6'4 or 6'6. Six, six. He's a mountain of a man. You know, we, we, we would, we'd look like Mutt and Jeff. He's still Jeff. I'm still Mutt. But but Jeff and I, we were good friends. We we're going into the youth group together, and our church bought a, a, a very large, kind of Victorian-style home right next door to the church, and that became the, the youth house. Okay, that was where the youth group met. And they, they even, they decorated, they put, and this is no joke, they put 70s red, white, and blue shag carpet on the walls, Okay, it was, it was out of this world. We were so excited to have this place. In fact, if memory serves me, I think, I think we had a pool table 
in the youth house. This was radical, okay? This was way out there for the 70s. And, and I was so excited, and I remember that they were, they were talking about this event that was going to be happening, um, you know, in a few weeks, and I was really, I was really pumped, but they were, they were going to have a Halloween party, and we got to help decorate the youth house for, for Halloween. I can still remember, I, I, it just sticks out in my mind, I can remember making a big spider web in the corner of, of this room, okay, just to make, you know, just to, to give it that real Halloween feel. I just, I was so excited about it. And I can remember, I can remember one of the most spiritual prayers I've ever prayed in my life. All right, let me change that. It was one of the most sincere prayers I'd ever prayed in my life. Dear Lord, don't have Jesus come back before the Halloween party. <laughs> now, let's remember, I was in the seventh grade, so, you know, if you have a problem with that, just get over it. It's all right. I was in seventh grade. I was a kid. But... And I realized that was literally the dumbest prayer that I ever could have prayed because in my young mind, what I was doing was I was equating the excitement of this stupid party to the benefit of heaven. There's no comparison. But in my young mind, I could not see that far. I didn't have enough experience to understand that what we get in this life is nothing compared to what we get in the next life. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. We'll back up a couple verses to verse 13. He said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep." <clears throat> There was some concern in the church in the first century. And there was, some con there was really confusion because they, they were told that Jesus was going to come back for them. The Messiah had come and he had set up his kingdom, not, not, a, not a, a political or a government kingdom the way that the Jews had been expecting but a kingdom that would be set up in the hearts of people who would accept him as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus told them that he was going to come back, that he would return for them. The prevailing thought in the first century was that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetimes. It's what they believed from the things that Jesus said, from the things that we read from Peter and Paul, we realize that there is this, this prevailing thought. They, they jumped on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep. He's talking about death. We're not all going to die, but we will be changed. Again, the, the, the idea here that, that 
you know, Jesus is going to come back and it's probably going to happen during our lifetimes. Remember at the end of the Gospels when Jesus ascended from the earth into heaven, the disciples were doing just what probably most of us would do. I think that's what I would do, right? If Jesus had just ascended from the earth, and then I probably would, you know, like, you know, shield my, my eyes from the sun to try to get that, that glance of him right to the very end. And the Bible says that there were angels that appeared to them and said, what are you guys doing? This same Jesus who has just departed, he's going to come back in the exact same way that you've just seen him go. And so there's this understanding that Jesus is coming back. And the followers of Jesus, the disciples, living this out on a daily basis, they are now beginning to pass away. The oldest ones among them, they're beginning to, to die. They're beginning to pass away. It's a natural part of life. We know that. And so those who are alive, they are literally getting worried. They are concerned about what's going to happen. Jesus said he's going to come back. But what happened to my buddy here that he has already died? What's going to happen to him? Because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him. And my buddy's not going to get to go. And so the apostle Paul is dealing with this concern. He said, don't grieve as though you don't have any hope. Because the Jesus that's coming after you, trust me, before you go, they're going to go first. And he's dealing with this concern. You know, today, when we really listen, you know, the next time you go to a funeral, listen to people talk. And what people believe today is literally the opposite of what the first century church believed. They believed that Jesus was coming after them. He was coming for the Christians. But today, everybody's going to heaven. There's, I, I have yet to be in a, in a funeral situation, and I've been in many over 30-some years. I, I've never seen anybody even, even question whether that person was in heaven. People believe that, that God would never send anyone to hell. And the Bible tells us that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so... When we, when we look at the first century church, they were concerned because they, they didn't know about their, what, what's going to happen ultimately to my friends. You know, our only hope is to trust in Jesus, to trust in the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for your sins and for my sins, to put my trust in that, to believe in that, to ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And the Bible says that we receive the free gift of salvation. We receive the gift of eternal life. That is my hope. So when it comes to death, when I, when I think about my mom, the anniversary of her death was just recently, when I think about my mom, I don't have to worry about Jesus coming back and her being dead because the Bible tells me that he is coming back and she will rise first with other dead saints. 
So I don't have to have that same worry. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be in heaven. And therefore, those are the only ones that are going to go in the rapture when Jesus returns. When I was in seventh grade, I was concerned. I was concerned about missing out on fun at a party. That's just the cold, hard truth because I was a stupid kid. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, they were worried about others in the faith that had passed away. What's going to happen to them? But let me ask you, what are you concerned about when it comes to the rapture? Are you concerned that, you know what, I, I may not get to, to live out my life. I may not get to have experiences that I want to have. What are you ultimately concerned about? Are you concerned about being ready? Are you concerned about being prepared for when Jesus comes? You know, we've got to take a look here at what the church was looking for. Jesus says in John chapter 14, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Why did the early church want Jesus to come back? Why did, they, why did they want him to return? Why were they so anxious? Why were they looking forward to it so much? In AD 64, not a lot of years after Jesus, something happened in Rome that affected the church the city of Rome began to burn. And it burned for about six days. I'm not a historian, but I've come across things that have said that nearly three quarters of the city was burned by the fire. And that the general consensus was that the Emperor Nero had actually started the fire. And in order to deflect suspicion from himself, he blamed the Christians. So he rounded them up and he began to put them to death, and he did it in ways that would entertain and distract Roman citizens from thinking about the fact that he had actually been the one that started those fires. Their treatment was so horrific that even many of the Romans were very sympathetic toward the Christians. Tacitus became a, a very well-known Roman historian, and he grew up in Rome during this time, and he witnessed the persecution that the church went through. And he wrote in a work that he called The Annals not long after these events took place. And he said that in order to stop the rumor that Nero himself had started the fires, he falsely accused he punished, he tortured, and he killed Christians. We read from history that there were vast multitudes that were convicted. They were convicted of being subversive to the Roman government. 
they were killed and they were put to death, and it was sport. It was done in a way that that Romans would enjoy it. One of the things that they would do is they would take wild animal hides, and they would uh, tie them around Christians, and they would put them into a facility and lease uh, release dogs that were specifically bred for the purpose of tearing apart wild animals. And so these dogs would attack these hides thinking that they were wild animals when all the time they were, there were people, obviously, that were, that were tied into these, these uh, pieces of, of wild animal hide. And so the, the Christians were really torn apart by these dogs. Another thing that was very common was that they were crucified. Sometimes they were even used to create light uh, after dark. I've read accounts where they were dipped in oil and then they were burned to create light. Nero was famous for his gardens, and one of the activities in his gardens was to have chariot races. They loved having chariot races, and who wants to stop when the sun goes down? So let's light up some Christians, and we'll light up the garden, and we can keep the chariot races going after dark. Many Christians were martyred this way. Jesus said in John 16, verse 2, the second half, he said, in fact, there's There's a time coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. Historically, it is believed that all but uh, John the Beloved were martyred for their faith. That only John Beloved, as one of the 12 disciples, was not. uh, Obviously, Judas died a different way. But they were looking for Jesus to come for a reason. They were looking for Jesus to come for a specific purpose because their lives were being snuffed out by Nero. They wanted Jesus to come, not only because of those that had already died, but because those right now who their lives would be demanded of them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, he said, listen, I tell you a mystery We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The early church had a word for this. And it was a word that was a very interesting word. It it, it has its roots in Aramaic. Um, it's a word that, that really, it, it's, it's contained in scripture, but it, it wasn't um, a word that you would read and just pick that out and say, man, that's a word I want to incorporate into my, into my daily life. If you look in the context in which it's used in scripture. But it's a word that has, uh, it, it was used as a greeting and it was used while you were just running into someone, and then as you said goodbye, you would use it again. Uh, we, we would look at the word aloha like that, because when you're in Hawaii and you come up to somebody or you, you just walk past, aloha, right? You're saying hello. You're greeting them. But when you leave, what do you say? Aloha. And all that word means is that it's a greeting. But this word was much more than that. This word carried with it a meaning that was something important 
to those who are Christians. The word is Maranatha, and it means come quickly, Lord Jesus. So in the first century, when a Christian would run into another Christian, they would greet each other and they would comfort them with the greeting Maranatha because what they were really saying is maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that Jesus is coming. And it would encourage them. And at the end of their conversation, they would say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because they wanted Jesus to come to remove them from the situation that they were in. The word Maranatha, it's been translated into, into many different languages. Elwood McQuaid said that of the first century believers, that this was like the watchword of the church. It was the coming and going. And, and literally they were saying, maybe, maybe today is going to be the day. I wonder how many of us have thought to ourselves the way the first century church did. Maybe today will be the day that Jesus comes. Maybe today. Lord, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Not that we don't ever think about it, but do we think about it with a longing you see, in the first century, what they were going through, they, they were going through incredible persecution. And today, we would have to say that it's not that it's unheard of, especially in our world, but here in America, we've been blessed, and we don't deal with that same persecution. So we don't have that sense of urgency that the first century church did. Jesus said, you know, remember that if the world hates you, that it hated me first. And the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7, he writes that the end of all things is near. They were looking for Jesus to come back so that they would be able to have the dead in Christ rise and they were looking to be taken out of a world that hated them. They were concerned, they were worried they were looking for Jesus to come. You say, well, what, what do we need to do in order to be ready? When I was a kid, I was scared to death of the rapture. I was afraid. Because in 1972, they came out with a movie called The Thief in the Night. And it was a, a, a dramatic movie that showed the rapture. It showed uh, the, um, even the events following the rapture, the tribulation. And it scared, if, if their objective was to scare you out of hell and into heaven, it worked on Kevin Taylor. Okay, if that was there, and I'm, I'm sure that, that, that they probably wouldn't have said that, but that was, I, I went to bed every single night and said, Jesus, forgive me my sin. Come into my heart. Be my savior. I don't want to go through that. I want to go to heaven. I remember praying that every night. You say, well, listen, dude, I'm not nearly as old as you are, okay? Maybe for you it was, it was uh, Kirk Cameron in, in, in his uh, series of movies, Left Behind, that, that showed the events of the rapture as well. But you know, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, 
in the 70s, I think, I think scaring people into heaven was just, just part of the evangelism tactics that, that, that the church employed at that time. But I'm not talking about the rapture today, and the scripture does not talk about it to scare you. It talks about it to make sure that you have the opportunity to be ready and that you would be actually encouraged. Look back at what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 18. He says that, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The rapture is not meant to scare us, it's meant to encourage us. The problem is, if we're living in such a way that we're not ready for the return of Jesus, it scares us. Because we're not ready. If we were ready, we would say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We would say, man, I'm, I'm encouraged when I think about the rapture. And I want you to know, that I believe that there's nothing, there's nothing that has to happen before the rapture can take place. The only reason that the rapture has not already happened, I believe, is God's grace and mercy because today, tens, even hundreds of thousands of people will accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And scripture says that God says that he would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so every day that goes by is a day where more have accepted Christ as their personal savior. That's the only thing holding the rapture back. You know, I heard it said that we need to live today as if Jesus had died yesterday rose again today and is coming back tomorrow. Now, it's the truth that no one knows the day nor the hour. A man named Harold Camping spent $100 million on an ad campaign. And in that ad campaign, he said that Jesus was going to be coming back on September 6, 1994. I actually remember seeing the booklet that he produced proving why Jesus would come back in 1994. And when Jesus did not come back in 1994, Harold, not having spent all $100 million, retooled and said, well, he's coming back in May, on May 21st, 2011. And when Jesus did not come back on May 21st, 19, uh, 2011, he said, it'll be October 21st, 2011. And when Jesus didn't come back on October 21st, 2011, he just came up with something called the rapture calculator. And you can go online and see what, what they say the, the rapture calculator is at. How close are we to the rapture? Jesus can come at any moment. There's nothing keeping him from coming back. When the Father says go, he will come. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, this is Jesus speaking. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But I will tell you this, the scripture tells us, we've read it, there will be a summons, there will be the trumpet call of God, there will be the voice of the archangel saying, it's 
time. And the Bible says that Bonnie Taylor is going to rise from her grave and that she's going to be changed. Maybe someone that you know has already died that was a follower of Jesus. The Bible says they will rise, they will be transformed, and then you and I who are alive, who are serving Jesus who have accepted the Lord, who have been forgiven of our sins, then we will rise and together we will be with the Lord forever in the air. Friends, we need a Maranatha spirit in our lives. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I love what evangelist from the 18th century, George Whitfield said. He said, begin now to live as though you were assured that this night you were to go forth to meet him. So let me ask it to you this way. What if Jesus came tonight? What if the rapture happened tonight? How would you live today differently knowing that he was coming tonight? Now, remember, the Bible says no one knows the day nor the hour, so God hasn't let me in on anything special, okay? But what if it was tonight? What would you do? I think that there would be some people that would spend their Sunday afternoon a lot differently. I think that they would probably get on the phone. They would make some things right with family members. They would probably spend some time with their, their close family and friends, making sure that their heart is right before the Lord. I believe that we would take care of everything that we could take care of. But you see, we don't know when the time is. And so we've gone to bed so many different nights. In fact, for 2,000 years, Believers have been going to bed not knowing when Jesus is going to come back. And because it's been so long, we can grow weary in that anticipation because we don't know. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I would just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. And as we close this service, I just want to ask you the question, one final question, and that is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? If you're not ready, I want you to be ready today. You can be ready today. You say, Kevin, how can I know? How can I be ready? Simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from, from all of that and, and make me clean and new and be my Savior. If that's you today and you say, you know what, I I'm not sure that I'm ready, and I want to be ready. I want to close this service just praying for you. If that's you, just slip your hand up if you would. Just, just to acknowledge, just, nobody's looking around. I'm just going to 
make note of it in my own mind so that I can pray with you. Slip it up. Yes, yes. Anybody else? No. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. I thank you that we can know that we're ready. That we can say, Jesus, I know you're coming soon. I want to be ready. And so cleanse my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. And be my Lord and my Savior. And Father, I believe that I am ready. I believe that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I want to be ready all the time so that I can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you today. I thank you that we can live ready every single day. And if Jesus comes tonight, we will be ready. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.